Well, good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. We have been in a four-week series uh, entitled Forgive, and this is the fourth and final week. The first three weeks, we looked at our part in forgiveness, God's part, second week, and you, uh, their part in the third. And today, we're going to look at if we forgive, what do we experience as a result of that? Uh, and then we're also going to answer a question that was raised after the first week and kind of came up over and over again. Uh, that question being, how can I forgive myself? And so that's where we're going. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we will jump in. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Just thank you for the opportunities to gather and to worship you off the heels of a holiday where we're just thankful. Uh, we thank you for our friends, our family. We thank you for uh, just a time to be together and to celebrate. Uh, we thank you for our freedom in this country. Most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We are so very thankful uh, for the forgiveness we experience through the cross. And this morning, as we look at this uh, last and final piece, uh, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would continue to work in and through each of us. Uh, we're here listening, so just speak to us this morning. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So when I, <clears throat> I was in high school, uh, I was a third generation Stockton and Plainfield. Now, uh, today, I appreciate that. Back when I was in high school, I hated that, okay? Uh, the reason I hated that is because I'm a spinning image of my dad and my grandfather. And so if I went out of the house uh, without ever having met me, uh, talked to me, asked me my name, most people in town, small town Plainfield at that time in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, knew who I was. And so therefore that related to this thing in me where I, well, as soon as I walked out into public, it was all about my performance. Right? Like I wanted to make sure uh, that I behaved well because it got back to my dad every time. Like every time I didn't, uh, it, my mom and dad would know before I ever got home that I had misbehaved. Uh, and so for me, a, lo a lot of my growing up was I needed, when I was out in public, to make sure I performed to earn my dad and my mom's trust. Uh, those two things were directly related to one another. And uh, that rolled right over into when I accepted Jesus at the age of 15. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, uh, and very quickly it became this thing where for me, uh, I felt like I had to perform in order to uh, earn God's forgiveness. I had to make him proud and, and have to gain his trust by the way I performed uh, in public, the way I uh, put on Christian life. And I did that for probably four years. I got into college at Taylor University, uh, and I read a book that completely changed my perspective on this uh, and completely changed my theology. But up until that point, it was all about me controlling the way people saw me. Uh, and that's what I think when we, when we talk about forgiveness, I think that's where, we, where the rubber meets the road for us. That's where the tension comes in. It's this idea that we want to ultimately, we want to control who we should forgive and who we shouldn't forgive. And we really want uh, in the deep parts of us to know like, okay, this person isn't worthy of forgiveness because of X, Y, Z. Uh, and this person is worthy of forgiveness because of X, Y, and Z. And yet that's not at all what God tells us how it works. I uh, have this quote. Well, let me start. Let's start where we started uh, this whole series. 
in Matthew chapter 6. We started this series, Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to remind you, we're going to end there today. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. We've looked at that just about every week. Uh, We wanted to make sure we grounded this whole series in that because uh, that is, there's, there's no wiggle room in this. We kind of talked about this in the first week. Like there's no um, uh, exceptions to that. There's no qualifiers to that. There's no, well, if it was this kind of a sin, then you don't actually have to follow Matthew 6, 14. There's none of that. Jesus simply says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, then your father will not forgive your sins. The problem is, is that's not our natural inclination. Like that's just not the, what you and I turn to immediately. We don't turn to forgiveness immediately. In fact, Tim Keller would say this, the default mode of the human heart is to maintain control over one's life by earning one's own salvation and forgiveness. The, di- the idea of free grace, unmerited, is both insulting and unnatural to the self-absorbed human heart. It is both insulting and unnatural to the self-absorbed human heart. And the truth is, I'm sorry to tell you this today, we all have self-absorbed human hearts because of our sin. Every one of us in here has a self-absorbed human heart. Now you can say, well, I don't think I do. Okay, good luck, right? Like you do. Um, It's okay, right? Like that's all right that you're wrong today. Um, But You do, we just do. We tend to do what? Protect number one. We want to make sure uh, that we are safe, that we are, right? And so therefore our inclination is towards what? Proving ourselves to be correct. So the idea that this is just free grace, unmerited, this forgiveness, like that, that there's really nothing actually that you can do or not do, but you receive it. You, it's already done for you. It's just so foreign to us. Because how in the world could we offer that kind of forgiveness to somebody else when they haven't asked for forgiveness yet? When they haven't acknowledged what they did to us yet? When they haven't changed their ways because of what they did to us? And yet that's not the way that it works when it comes to God. All right, so turn with me, Colossians chapter three, because one of the places where we read and help gain some understanding of what It looks like to live in this, right? When we accept Jesus, we're made new. We have this new life. And Colossians chapter three kind of starts to speak to this and tell us what that looks like. Verse one in Colossians chapter three says this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden in Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. You see, Colossians, for those of you who follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior, uh, you have this new life. And, and Paul is talking about that new life. Since you've been raised to this new life, set your sights on the realities of heaven, 
where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Like it's no longer good enough for you to think about just the things of this world. It's, this is a mind uh, like shift, right? Just to think about the way things work here uh, is not the way what you're intended or designed for. Right? The, the world thinks about things that are here. We talked about this a little bit, and I think in week three, like this cancel culture, like if we were really just setting our minds on the world, we'd do what the rest of the world's doing, which is if you hurt me, if you sin against me, then forget you. But that's not the reality that we're setting our minds on. The reality we're setting our minds on is the one of heaven. And when you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the moment of justification happened. Now, justification just so we're all on the same page. It's the gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous through faith in Jesus. Right? Like when you accepted Jesus, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, right? Like when you, when you prayed that prayer, when you accepted him, said it with your mouth, believed in your heart, that was the moment that you were justified. Your sins were taken from you. You are now a part of the kingdom of heaven. You are setting your sights on that reality. It is a moment in time. For me, it happened in East Tennessee at the age of 15 in 1999. That was the moment it took place. From that day forward until the day that I meet Jesus, the rest of it is what? Sanctification. The rest of it is sanctification. It is just to become more and more like Jesus until the day we get to meet him through the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And the Holy Spirit's the one who works out our sanctification. Yes, we play some part in that too, but the Holy Spirit's working in us to become more and more like him, Jesus. And you see, both these things are kind of initiated by God. God's the one who pursued you uh, so that you would soften your heart, gave you this new life so that you would accept him. And now it's your job to set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits at the right hand of God Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. This is the difference between you and the rest of the world. You're thinking about the things of heaven, the realities of heaven. You're not thinking about the realities of this earth. That should mean a whole lot, a whole host of things. But one of those is, is this. You should be some of the most forgiving people in the world. Because if you're really setting your sights on the reality of heaven, God forgave you. He's, the whole reason you have new life is because he justified you and sanctified you. This is what that sanctification continues to look like. Jump down to verse 12. Since God chose you to be a holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is exactly what your life should look like. You should be clothed with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. You should be making allowance for others' faults and forgive anyone who offends you, just as the Lord forgave you. Above all, you must clothe yourself with love. I, like, <laughs> that's it. That, that's, 
if you look like that as a Christ follower, you are going to look different from the rest of the world. You just are. Think about that. I'm pretty sure this isn't going to name the most hostile person out there that you're going to meet, right? Politically hostile, right? That's, this is probably not it, right? This isn't the description I'd use to, to describe those people. Uh, atheist, nope, probably not this list. Who does this describe? It describes you and I as Christ's followers. This is what we're supposed to be known by. Because why? Since God chose you to be his holy people, which he loves. God chose you and therefore we're supposed to be right there in the middle is exact. I mean, he's echoing Jesus' words. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Here's but here's what results if we do it well. If we do this well, verse 15 says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. If you can get to this place where you're clothed with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, patience, uh, you're allowing other people's faults, you're not holding things against them and you're forgiving them just as the Lord forgave you, what happens? Peace. Peace happens. But peace is only possible through Jesus Christ. It's through understanding that we have been offered forgiveness and therefore we can offer forgiveness freely. Freely. And then what happens when we offer forgiveness freely? We get to live at peace. What happens when we place our our case in the hands of God and when we trust that he is the judge that will ultimately judge. Like, peace. If you haven't brought yourself to forgive someone, then you might be the one who understands this the most because you're not at peace. And yet, what is promised here? It's a promise that we can experience peace. As a result of what? Our new life, setting our sights on the realities of heaven, thinking about those things, being chosen as God's holy people, being clothed with all these things, and then it leads to ultimately peace in our lives. One of the greatest things I think that removes peace from us is this question that was asked to us after week one. How do I forgive myself? How do I wrestle with things that I've done or uh, ways in which I've added to situations? Well, we kind of talked about that in the first week, our part. But I want to continue talking about it because uh, it just has come up so many times. And here's what I want, a little fun fact of the Bible. There is not one mention in the Bible of you needing to forgive yourself. There's not. The Bible does not talk about this idea of how do I forgive myself? In fact, I would say this idea and this question comes strictly from the Western world, strictly from our culture. Barnes and Noble has the answer to that question in 37 books. Just gotta read all 37. You know why there's 37? Because the first one didn't bring any peace. Second one didn't bring any peace. You know why there's more coming out soon? Because they don't bring you to peace. Why? Because there's no, there's no such idea as forgiving yourself. Who forgave the people in God's word? God did through Jesus Christ. And once they were forgiven by God, their creator, there was no need 
for any other forgiveness besides that. They were forgiven. It was done. They believed what the word said. And so I started to look up some passages, trying to find some things that spoke to this. And so I want to share these with you this morning. Proverbs, you can turn with me if you want to. 28. I tried to find something close to this idea of self-forgiveness within the Bible. There's a couple different verses. I'm only going to share two this morning. Proverbs 28, verse 13 says this. Actually, you know what? You can turn there, but I'm going to read it out of the ESV because I like it in the ESV better. All right? I'll read it in the NLT first. It says this. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. ESV, which is on the screen, says this. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. He who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. We're told that this is how we gain peace. Listen, you you can't withhold your transgressions. You can't hide your sin from God. That's not possible. He knows it. You can play the game with uh, me. You can play the game with the people you're sitting next to, but you cannot play the game when it comes to God. He knows your sin. And he's waiting on you to confess it because he's already forgiven it. So there's no reason to withhold your transgressions or conceal them. There's no reason to do that. The reason I love this version of uh, this verse is because it says, but then uh, you will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. First and foremost, we have to be willing to confess. And this is the daily call on your life. As someone who loves Jesus and follows Christ, I hope you are as simple as I am. Please let me know if you go a day without sinning because I need to learn from you. Because I, I don't. There's not a day I don't sit down and have to ask for forgiveness for something. I hope you don't wait uh, until the Lord's Supper is passed on Sunday morning to confess all your sins for the week or else we just cancel service and let you be here till seven o'clock. Because the truth is, is like for me, I've got to get up in the morning and start my day like, hey, what last 24 hours? God, okay, here's what, we're going to be here for a little bit, you know, like, it was a rough day yesterday. Like, here's how I've sinned and fallen short. And I spend time in confession in the morning, uh, just my sins before God. Why? Because I need to be reminded that I'm forgiven. So that when I step out the door and somebody sins against me, I can offer that forgiveness. Because listen, sometimes we want to, you remember our selfish, self-absorbed hearts? We want to make things look a little bit prettier. This is again from Tim Keller. If you haven't read this book, pick up this book. Forgive, Why Should I and How Can I? It's by Tim Keller. It'll help. He says this, and I was going to try to restate it, but you know what? Some things are just said so well. I'm just going to read it to you. To confess is to make a full, clean admission of what you have done wrong without qualification or excuse, without minimizing or relativizing. It is to take the full responsibility. The translated word in 28, verse 28, uh, Proverbs is, 
here is to confess, uh, always has the sense of praising and thanking God. So when you read Proverbs 28, 13, and it says, he who confesses, uh, he's not just saying like, you should, this isn't like a beat you up moment. You're actually praising God by confessing the ways you fell short of how awesome he is. <laughs> You're saying, I'm not you, you are you, and I, here I am with the best I got. Always has a sense of praising and thanking God. So confessing a sin is not merely telling the truth, nor is it an abstract idea. I deserve punishment of some kind. Rather, it is admitting that you have been failing to love and honor God. And at this moment, you begin to glorify him by admitting how you have wronged him and others. Do you see, when we confess before the Lord, it's one of the greatest ways we can worship him. It's one of the greatest ways we can give him glory and honor because we're saying to him in that moment, I'm not you. I fell short and I want to put you back in the place you belong, which is number one in my life. The problem is, is that a lot of us look at confession as like, okay, it's time to beat myself up about all the things I did wrong. No, it's just coming clean before your Savior. It's just saying what he already knows is true. It's an opportunity to glorify him. And I think a lot of us get caught up in this because I love this analogy. I've heard this from another preacher teacher and I stole it. Uh, is when we're driving a car, you got two places to look when you're driving a car. Out the windshield where you're going or in the rear view where you came from. And the problem is, I think some of us in this room have a way bigger rearview mirror than we do a windshield in front of our car. We're spending time looking back at what we did or what they did rather than looking at where God wants to take us. We're staring at the rearview mirror thinking about all the ways that we're beating ourselves up for something that we've already been forgiven for. That God already said, listen, it, it's done. It's finished. Based on 28, we should take the rearview mirror off and chuck it out the window. It, what's in the past is in the past. It's, uh, anytime it's mentioned in scripture, it's either men mentioned in the sense of asking for forgiveness or forgetting what was behind. If you have your Bibles, I know we're moving a lot this morning. Flip with me to Philippians chapter three. Because this is another place where we see a mention of things from the past. I think Paul's echoing what Jesus has said. Paul's continuing this idea. Because you see in 28, what was the other word? It says for confess and forsake. Forsake, to like leave behind, to abandon, to never return to. And so when we confess our sin, not only are we glorifying God, but we're forsaking it. We're gonna leave it there. It's done. It's over with. I'm stepping away from that. I'm doing something different with my life. Philippians chapter three says this, uh, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. Thank you for not setting the bar too high. Uh, but I press on to possess the, that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not reached it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead I press on to reach the end of my race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And Paul says, forgetting the past. <laughs> Let me call a timeout again. We've done this. We called timeout and looked at Paul's life. This is Paul speaking. Who used to kill Christians? 
We literally read that, that men throw out their jackets so that Paul can stand on it and watch Stephen be stoned to death. If there's anybody that has a reason to be looking in the rearview mirror, it's Paul. And yet Paul's not. What does Paul tell you? Paul doesn't say, hey, you know what? But I focus on one thing, forgiving myself and looking forward to what, no, no, no. Why? Because Paul knew, hey, I'm already forgiven. So I'm gonna forget the past and I'm gonna look forward to what lies ahead. I'm gonna press on to reach the end of the race. I'm gonna keep trying to become more like Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And I'm gonna stop staring in the rear view mirror at what happened in the past. Because that's past. It's done. I've forsaked it. I've left it behind. I'm done. And so I, I, I have this question for those who feel as if they need to forgive themselves. I actually have three. And I wrote these down because I, as I started to process through why have I not forgiven myself, these three questions kind of came to mind. One, have you truly asked God to forgive you? Like true, like no qualification, no justification, no excuses. Just ask God to forgive you for whatever it might be in the past that you can't seem to forgive yourself for. If you have, have you forsaken your sin, which was in the past? Have you left it behind? Have you abandoned it? Have you thrown it out the window? And if you have, are you looking forward to what lies ahead and running your race to become more like Jesus? If your answer is no to any of those, then I would suggest to go back to week one where I said, you know what, if we can't forgive other people, we think we're a better judge of them than God is and we've taken God's seat. And if you can't forgive, ask for forgiveness, then you know what, you, you, you're taking God's seat saying, you know what, God, I know what's better for me. It's okay, I, I, I'm gonna hold myself more responsible than you, than you are. How silly does that even sound? I can't even say it out loud seriously. No, no, no. It's like when we understand how we've been created, we understand the Savior which with, who saved us from this, then we are able to live in the forgiveness and offer forgiveness. And so when you ask us, how can I forgive myself? I don't hear a question of I'm struggling with forgiveness. I hear a struggle I hear this struggle in my mind and my mind immediately goes to, I'm either struggling with guilt or I'm struggling with shame. One is good, one is not good. One was intended for you, one was not intended for you. Guilt, I would say, uh, is the Holy Spirit's ability to make us feel sorry for something we've done. So Holy Spirit prompting you that, hey, you did something that is not honoring to God. And the purpose of guilt is to turn us back to God. The purpose of guilt is for us to go and confess before the Lord, this is what I did and I feel guilty about it and I want to confess and I want to ask for forgiveness. I want to be specific about what I chose to do. God, would you forgive me for this? The problem is what most of us sit in is shame. And shame's not something God ever intended for you to sit in. Shame's not about the thing that was done. Shame's about you. Shame's about your character. Shame is about who you say you are or think you are. It has nothing to do with the action. The action is just what led to it. 
And God, how many times has God told us who we are in him and in Christ Jesus? Shame is not something you're supposed to walk through life and experience. But I would say when you ask that question, how can I forgive myself? Then you're misplacing guilt or shame. Romans 8.1 says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Again, no qualifiers. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There's no blame, judgment, or wrong. You have been forgiven freely, fully, and forever. That's what God says about you. You want to know how you should really think about yourself? Think about yourself that way. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and the new has begun. When we belong to Jesus, we begin this new life, this new place that we sit in the this, this seat of being a new creation. It's why we just sang this song. His mercy is new every single day. Why? Because your sin's new every single day. Because you need to be coming to confession every single day so you can experience that mercy every single day. And then what do you need to do if you're sitting in shame? You need to start reading the passages that tell you who you are in Christ until you believe them. You just need to open up and start reading passages like Romans 8. You need to read passages like 2 Corinthians 5 because that's where we find peace. You see, peace is only possible through Jesus Christ. How would I answer that question? How do I forgive myself? You don't have to. God already did that. He already forgave you. Nobody in the Bible was wrestling with how to forgive themselves because they knew that God, the creator of heaven and earth is the one who had forgiven them. So my encouragement to you would do this. Find a passage and just start reading it to yourself over and over until you believe it about who you are. Phil Heller shared one years ago out of Zephaniah that, that the Lord sings praises over you. Like he, he like sings worship songs over you because that's how awesome you are in his eyes. And that literally the first time I read it, I was like, yeah, right, Phil, not me. I've been reading that thing since he shared it. That had to be like seven or eight years ago. I continue to read that passage to myself, especially when I'm starting to feel shame. I start to question myself. And so I'd encourage you to do the same. Find a passage that speaks to who you are in God and start to just read it to yourself every single day until you believe it. Until you believe it. Because I, I, I... I know this is true because I've done it over and over and over time and time again. I've read these things to myself. Passages that I just needed to have ingrained in my mind and what it brought for me was peace. It's the only place to truly find the peace that you're looking for. It's not gonna happen in Barnes and Noble. It ain't gonna happen in your self-forgiveness. Only place that's gonna happen is through Jesus Christ. And so as we wrap up, we're going to come full circle here. Back to the very beginning. Because when, once we experience that peace, then we can forgive others the way that we've been forgiven. And we can know, you know what? <laughs> the case is in God's hands. Then the time we're all going to be judged. We're going to 
God's going to take care of that. I don't have to make that person feel what I feel. I can take that debt on for now and I can forgive that debt because this is what life in Christ looks like. And so today I want to end the exact same place, same way we've ended every other time. I'm going to read out of the NLT, the Lord's Prayer, and then I'm going to read verse 14 and 15 as well, where we kind of grounded this whole series out of. So pray with me. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food that we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Don't let us yield to temptation. Rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Jesus, would you help us to live those words out? Would you help us to forgive others the way that you forgive us? And in doing so, would you help us find peace? A peace that's only possible through you, Jesus. We thank you for that. We love you and we pray these things in your precious name. Amen.